Go, I'll let you
good morning, everyone. It's a good morning. It's a hearty good morning. I love that. I think it's all because we're just glad that we're here. We survived, right? Yes, yes, we did. And so praise God for that. Uh, it's good to be in this place together where we can worship our God. And we do so through the leading of the Holy Spirit and of course, we do so in the name of Jesus. And so this is a special day, as uh, in the church calendar, we call this Palm Sunday, and it uh, traditionally is recognized as the beginning of um, uh, what we call Passion Week or Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. And so we will be talking all about that today. Um, I encourage all of you as I read from the scriptures to allow the words of God, the very words of God himself, to, um, to move you and to help prepare you for a time of worship through song. Our theme for this morning in our readings and in our uh, lesson from scripture will be about preparations and it is a, uh, an important theme in our lives and towards the end of the life and ministry of Jesus, it was crucial that he prepared his followers for what was about to happen. So as I read, um, allow the Spirit through God's Word to settle your hearts and to prepare you uh, for whatever God has in store for us this morning. We don't know what that will be, but yet we do know that we have come here not simply to receive, but to give. That really is what we do in worship, to give back to God and to glorify him. And so in a moment, we'll do that by standing and singing. This morning, I would like to, to have two readings as our call to worship, one from the Old and one from the New Testament. And from the Old Testament, um, this is Psalm 121. It is a song of ascent. The Psalms or songs of ascents were traditionally sung by pilgrims, sojourners on their way to Jerusalem for the feasts. And here is Psalm 121, one of those songs of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our reading from the New Testament from 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up 
as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Church, that cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself, our chosen and precious cornerstone. And so we are told in this reading the words of God through his apostle Peter that we are becoming a holy priesthood and that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. For we ourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. So church, let's stand together and sing to our God in the name of Jesus Christ, that chief cornerstone as we offer up spiritual sacrifices of worship to him. Let us pray together. Father, how glorious it is to be able to stand together in this place before your throne of grace to say thank you, to worship you, to honor you, to adore you as we lift voices in one accord as we raise holy hands, as we stand silent to listen to the praises around us and to give you honor and glory, how glorious it is and what a privilege it is to be able to do that here and now. So, Father, we offer up these spiritual sacrifices, these songs as we sing and all of our time together this morning as an offering to you. We present ourselves, Lord as living sacrifices, we desire to be holy and pleasing to you. So God, accept our worship now and do so in the name of Jesus because what he has done for us, amen. Church, let's worship him together. Yeah. 
dressed in his righteousness alone.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear? The
Praise the Lord for awesome worship. We praise God that our chains are gone and we have been set free. We say amen to that and a hallelujah. And that is why we have gathered to encourage each other in that wonderful truth, to be reminded of that. And so it is good and right to be able to praise the Lord together. I'm glad to see that most of you got in your, your palm and of course we uh, we look at that as one of the, the great symbols of um, uh, Palm Sunday. That's why it's called that, if you remember from uh, the story. And we see that in the Gospels of the people welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. They did not know it would be for the final time, for he had been there before. But they welcomed him this time as king. And they shouted, Hosanna. A shout of praise, which really means, save us, O Lord, beseech, beseeching God to save them. They recognized him as Messiah and King. And to give Jesus that royal treatment, they laid down their cloaks and they took palms and waved them and laid them down as well. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. There's a lot of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life and ministry and death and resurrection. And next week, which is of course Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we will look at many of the prophecies fulfilled on that day that Jesus rose again. But today we celebrate 
Palm Sunday. And so before we open God's word for a special message about uh, Palm Sunday, I just want to get us caught up on a few things of what's going on in the life of Trinity. And, uh, you know, we always have a lot of things to uh, announce and get caught up on. So I just want to choose a few. Of course, today we do have communion. We will end our um, our gathering today with communion. And then uh, from there, we uh, will stick around. Hopefully all of you can stay and have our fellowship lunch. Today is our first barbecue. The leadership thought, you know, if, um, if you know, like if you build it, they will come. If we serve hot dogs and hamburgers, it will be spring. Like that's the idea, right? So, uh, so today we are doing that. And, um, uh, you know, even if you, you weren't able to bring food, it doesn't matter. Everybody is welcome. We'll have plenty of food. And so stick around for some wonderful fellowship and food afterwards. And then, of course, during that time and just after, we'll have our uh, annual egg hunt for our, uh, for our Trinity kids. And uh, I know that uh, most of them made their way down the hall for their time together, and they're having a special lesson as well. And as we were um, saying good morning to one another, I saw a bunch of guys out in the, the garden there. They were either taking all of the eggs from the kids or they were hiding them. So I like to think that they were hiding them. And so, um, so thank you for everybody that was doing that. And so that, of course, is today. And also remember, too, and this is something open for everyone, that later on at 3 o'clock, um, everyone is welcome as part of an outreach event from our, our missions team to go to the graduation of the Life Change Program that is part of the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission. And this is just down the road in Ocean Grove. And so it's pretty close at the J uh, Bishop James Tabernacle and um, uh, on Pilgrim's Pathway. Most of you know where that is. And uh, so everybody is welcome. And I think why this will be so special is for two reasons. One, because we get to just go and support the ministry. They are a uh, missions partner. We support them financially and through prayer and through um, service. But to just go and sit and participate, showing up and showing them how much we love and support them, but also to be able to hear some amazing testimonies of lives that have been changed because of Jesus Christ and how the Lord Jesus is using this great mission right here uh, in our backyard at the Jersey Shore. So everybody is welcome for that. So please um, stick around for our food and fellowship after and enjoy watching the kids hunt for their, their eggs. And then, of course, join us at 3 o'clock in Ocean Grove for that um, special event. Of course, next Friday is our Good Friday service. It starts at 7 p.m. It's right here. Uh, in the sanctuary, and uh, we're going to be looking at why is it good? Why do we call Good Friday good when we gather to remember what actually happened to Jesus on the cross? And so, obviously, it's highly significant that we understand um, the meaning of that. Why do we call it good? Our friends down the road at the Allenwood Church, and we do many events with them, and Pastor Dave and I and uh, another pastor, local pastor, we record a podcast. And so he actually um, said, you know what? We're going to be bringing our church to the Good Friday service. And so we'll be seeing a bunch of our friends from the Allenwood Church on Friday night. So I encourage you to come on out. It'll be from 7 to 8. We will take communion together as part of our time of remembrance. We'll have some time of worship and, of course, hearing from God's word 
about what it means that we call it Good Friday. All right, so that is, of course, this Friday. So plan to join us from 7 to 8. Then, of course, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And um, uh, please, a great opportunity to invite friends and family uh, to come and celebrate new life in Christ and the fact that he is no longer on the cross and that the tomb is empty. A great, great time of celebration. We'll have lots of music and uh, a joyful celebrating. And uh, the message will actually be uh, quite unique, I think, for an Easter uh, Sunday service. But we will look at some important prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus' resurrection, including some prophecies about Palm Sunday. So as we kind of look all of the Holy Week and see uh, why it's so important and significant that Jesus died and, and uh, was buried and came back to life and why that is, as Paul says, the cornerstone of our faith in 1 Corinthians 15. So that is that. And then finally, um, remember this, we've been promoting this um, for a while now. Um, this is our one-day event at the end of April, uh, April 29th. It's a Saturday from 9 to 3.30. And uh, the topic is, can I know for sure if I am saved? What does the Bible say about the assurance of our salvation once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Is there anything else we need to do to make sure that we're saved? And what does that look like? And how does this truth affect our daily walk with God. So this is a free event, and uh, it's open to everybody. We just ask that you go to the, our website, trinityalwin.com, and register, just so we have an idea of how many people are coming. Breakfast and lunch are provided. Again, it's a free event, and uh, we have a couple of guest speakers that will be coming in. Grant Hawley and Joe Duke will be coming in to give our talks. I'll be here as a moderator uh, for their sessions. And so uh, a wonderful way to spend uh, that day together, just searching the scriptures and exploring this uh, vital truth of scripture about the assurance of our salvation. And it's also a really good opportunity, church, to invite some friends, believers or not yet believers, who may be struggling with this, um, maybe you've had conversations with people about this. Invite them out. Uh, there'll be a lot of questions they have will be answered and addressed. It'll be a wonderful time for everyone. So please put that on your calendar and go to the website and register so we just have an idea of how many people are coming, right? That's on April 29th. And so, of course, today, our message. We're going to take our message today from, uh, from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. So, yes, you can turn to that now. Um, it's a long passage. I won't have it up on the screen. So, please use the Bibles in front of you. Bring your own Bibles. I always encourage you to do that as we preach through the scriptures here at Trinity. So it's important you have your Bibles. Um, and there's some around. If you need one, you can use the, the Bible app on your phone, of course. But you can uh, locate Luke, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 27. Uh, a pair of accounts, these amazing true stories that uh, Luke accounts for us in the life of Jesus and his followers, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe that's one that you learned when you were in Sunday school as a kid, right? Uh, that wee little man, remember? That whole song and story that goes along with it. So the story of Zacchaeus, this short little story of the account of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And then the next account right after that that Luke gives us of Jesus teaching his followers 
some important truths about what was about to happen, preparing them as he tells the parable of the ten minas. And so this is that um, story from Luke 19, 1 through 27. First, Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, and then his parable that he gives to the disciples, his followers, the parable of the ten minas. Why these go together and what it has to do with Palm Sunday as Jesus was preparing his followers for the cross. They just didn't know it yet. Um, he was preparing them, and, you know, preparation is a very important part of our lives. Were you prepared for the storms last night? <laughs> What's she saying? I'm going to ask for a show of hands. You don't have to read your How many of you have actually some kind of plan in place for when a tornado warning comes on your phone and says there's a tornado warning about that. Anybody have? Good, none of us, so it's great. I think it's awesome. <laughs> and so, but see, that's good for me because I'm talking all about preparation. And so, so that, that bodes well for our message this morning and how you may receive it. But I kind of feel the same way. And so we spent a, a good 45 minutes, Claudia and I and our, our dog Molly in the basement, and I was taking a shower, and then I heard the thing go off on my phone, you know, that alert, many of you get that, and, um, and so I was right in the middle of the shower, and then right after that alert, Claudia was banging on the door, there's a tornado coming, get out now, is what she said. <laughs> and so, okay, and so, um, you know, I had to finish rinsing off, and then she banged the door again, let's go, I said, okay. So um, quickly got out, got dressed, and she was already in the basement with our dog, and uh, I thought it was good, you know, that she, she got the dog down there first and then called for me to, well, no, I was just talking to she, she claims that she banged on the, the bathroom door first, so I believe her. And so we spent about 45 minutes, you know, in the basement. And, uh, you know, to be honest, you know, afterwards, we kind of make fun and light of it. But um, we do see that there was very possible, I don't know if they've declared it, you know, true yet or not, but possible a couple of tornadoes in Howell. We have a bunch of people that live right in that area, saw some amazing video, probably saw it on the news last night or this morning as well. But um, it's an event, you know, we don't often see that around here. And actually, and I think what kind of maybe heightened our awareness and being a little bit more concerned and fearful even was uh, because of what just happened recently out in the Midwest and the South, right? With all the tornadoes there. And so maybe we were just a little more aware and sensitive to take it seriously. And so in some ways, maybe it was a good wake-up call to realize like we need to have some kind of uh, preparations in place, like a plan in place, you know, where will we go and, and maybe what should we have? What if all of the lights go out and, and uh, you're in the basement or that closet or the bathroom in the middle of your home in the dark and what kind of things should you have? What would you bring there with you? And, uh, you know, we often see stories of people the, the next day telling stories about where they were and what happened when you see the roof torn off their house and all that. And, you know, unfortunately, many people lost their lives and, you know, down, happened down south in the Midwest just recently. But, um, you know, I thank God that we are all here and safe and maybe some damage to, to property. But we, we take this kind of opportunity to say, God, what is it that I should do to take this kind of thing more seriously? Should I be prepared? And how do I do that? And it's an important question in every part of our lives. You know, we might prepare uh, financially for retirement 
or for that rainy day or, you know, just uh, maybe things aren't going well at your job and you want to prepare for what might happen next. You want to prepare for um, a wedding, you know, if uh, you have somebody in your family that's, uh, you know, going to be getting married, so you want to prepare for that. You want to prepare for even the storms of life. And that really is what Jesus was doing on this day. We, we call this Palm Sunday, and uh, not so sure it was actually on a Sunday that Jesus entered Jerusalem, but Nonetheless, Jesus was doing what he needed to do to prepare his followers for what was about to happen. Of course, he knew what the next week of his life would look like and their lives, but they didn't know. For all they knew, they were just ushering in the kingdom of God because that long-awaited kingdom needed a king, and here was Jesus finally being hailed as the king. If you remember, and we'll talk about this more next week, Jesus continued to tell his followers, the time is not yet. He said, remember when he would heal people, perform miracles, don't tell anybody about this yet. It was not yet the time. Now was the time. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, I should say. Jerusalem is up on a high hill up to Jerusalem on a donkey, as was prophesied. And he did so as king welcomed with the shouts of Hosanna, again, which means save us, O Lord, in a very emphatic way, welcoming in their Messiah, King. And so as he is making his way up to Jerusalem, he meets a man named Zacchaeus, and this is where we find our reading in Luke chapter 19, Luke's account of this, um, these interactions. And right after Jesus meets Zacchaeus, he tells them this parable, he gives them a parable, and I just briefly this morning, in our time remaining, want to look at the importance of these two stories together and why it is that it happened in this order and at this time as Jesus was about to enter into Jerusalem. Because for context, it's always important when you read the Word of God, you read it in context so you don't take it out of context. If you're looking at chapter 19, you'll notice that after Jesus and Zacchaeus, that story, and after the parable of the ten minas, if you have those headings, those chapter headings or those subject headings, you'll see what happens next is the triumphal entry. So these are the two things that happen right before that. And so we often look on Palm Sunday about his triumphal entry, but this morning we're going to see what happened right before that. Jesus was making preparations for himself and for his followers, for the coming Passover, for what he was about to teach, and of course, most importantly, for the cross, the cross and the resurrection. And so Jesus is traveling up to Jerusalem, and here's what it says. I'm going to read the, the whole passage. It's Luke 19, it's verses 1 through 27. And it says this, so he, of course, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not 
because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. But Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So as they heard these things, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent the delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. But you see, then the other came, saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. What a powerful story. Now, again, this is a parable that Jesus teaches, and it is, um, it is told to, um, to teach a lesson, really what a parable is to be able to, to teach a, a lesson, a spiritual lesson using sort of um, everyday ideas and things that people would quite understand. So we have these two accounts together, Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus 
And then he tells the parable of the minus. And so such a large section of Scripture, don't want to go through this verse by verse, but what I really want to do is show you why I believe that this is so important to, to not gloss over this and just go right to, okay, the triumphal entry of everybody waving their palms and laying down their cloaks. And here's why. See, Jesus knew, of course, what was about to happen this coming week. They didn't know that it was to be his last week with them. And they didn't know what to expect. See, they thought the kingdom was now. See, that's why it says, it says, as they heard these things about Jesus and Zacchaeus, in verse 11, it says, he proceeded to tell them the parable because, here's why he told them the parable of the minas, he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. So let's remember this, church. Jesus was the long-awaited king for the nation of Israel. The one that had been prophesied about, they waited so long, 400 years of silence without any prophets coming from God to tell them what was happening next. And here is Jesus, the one they wanted to crown. But of course, a king is really no king if he has no kingdom, right? And so because the king was there, all of his disciples, as it would seem reasonable, would have assumed that the kingdom, that long-awaited kingdom, that time when Israel would be back on top and no longer subjected to the people of Rome and in any other nation that subjected them before the Romans. And they said, well, if the king is here, surely his kingdom is now here. But see, Jesus told them this parable so that they would understand they needed to prepare because the kingdom was not yet. And so we see that unfold in this parable. If you were to look at the Gospel of Matthew, you would notice that right about in the middle in, in Matthew chapter 12 is the turning point of Jesus' ministry to the people of Israel, because up until then, the gospel had been repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for he was the king and he was in their midst, at hand in their midst. But they had been rejecting him, and when they finally, we see this in Matthew 12, when they finally attribute all of Jesus' miracles and healings to Satan and not God himself, Jesus knew that that was, in a way, the final straw, and they had rejected him. So from that point on, Jesus teaches mostly in parables like he does here, and the gospel is the personal gospel, still salvation through Christ but about believing in the Lord Jesus. See, it was that turning point. And so here in our story in Luke 19, we know that he is towards the end of his life. So he is teaching most often in parables so that those that don't believe aren't given any more truth. It's almost a, it's a way of being merciful towards them. But for those that do believe that they would understand. So he teaches in these parables to, in some ways, conceal truth, but to reveal truth to those who believe. And so first, let's start with a few things about this guy, Zacchaeus, and Jesus' interaction with him. And then we will look at our remaining time together with the parable of the minus. So Jesus comes, and he is on his way up to Jerusalem, and here is this guy, Zacchaeus. The Bible even tells us he's short. It's interesting. He's short. So being that he is small in stature, the ESV says, 
He needs to get to a place where he can see Jesus. Let's stop there for a second. Notice this, church. Zacchaeus, called a tax collector, so one who would have been despised, especially by the people of Israel, he wants to see Jesus. He goes out of his way, even to the point of climbing a tree, so he could have a perspective to see over the crowds that were gathered around Jesus so he could see Jesus for himself, this Jesus he had heard about. What does it look like for us in seeking after Jesus? Do we go out of our way each and every day to find our Savior, to open his word, to spend time in prayer, to, to look at Jesus Christ? See, Zacchaeus is a great example. He climbs this sycamore tree. So he risks some bodily harm. He could fall out of the tree. He risks being made fun of and ridiculed, even more than he already was as a tax collector, but he didn't seem to care. What does that look like for us? Does it matter to us that people know we're Christians? Do you tell other people about your faith, or are we worried sometimes that people will ridicule us and make fun of us? Do we go out of our way to see Jesus each and every day and to tell others about him? So here is Zacchaeus, this despised tax collector, and he wants to see Jesus. So he clambers up to the top of this sycamore tree so he can see Jesus for himself. But then what does it say? It says, see, Jesus notices, of course, that he's up in that tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, you can always kind of see hear it in his voice. <laughs> Just come down from there. Hurry up and come down. Because today we're going to have some food together in your house. Can you imagine Zacchaeus and his reaction? So he hurries down. It says in verse 6, he came down and received him joyfully. But of course, everybody else wasn't so joyful because they didn't like this guy, Zacchaeus. So here, once again, all the people who were, who were following Jesus, but again, didn't quite understand what it was he was teaching, said, how can this be? How can Jesus... This coming king be eating with a guy like Zacchaeus. Jesus came to save the lost. In fact, he says that at the end of that section. Because it says, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's talking about Zacchaeus and being a, a, um, a Hebrew and of the son of Abraham. And you see, Jesus welcomes him in. It's interesting, before we move on to the parable, what did Zacchaeus do? So he comes down from the tree, and he's getting all excited because he's going to host Jesus, and I'm sure some other people in his house, get a blessing from Jesus the Messiah. But he tells Jesus something before they go to have this meal. He says, Jesus, I give everything. Half of everything I have, I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I wronged anybody here, I'm going to give it back fourfold. What was he doing? It was an act of repentance, wasn't it? See, 
In Zacchaeus, we see his mind was changed about who Jesus was. He got a glimpse, a good look at the Savior, and he knew who he was. So his mind was changed, which means he believed he was saved. See, his mind was changed. Then his heart was changed. This idea of learning, right, who Jesus was, he believed, but then he started to grow. And so his heart was changed. So his mind was changed. His heart was changed. And what is the natural outflow of that? Then his actions changed. His behavior changed because he repented of his sinfulness. And so he said, Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. Because my, see, in this interaction, it doesn't tell us all this, but you know what's going on. He is now believing in Jesus for who he is. And so he says, I'm repenting. I, I'm, I'm going to make good on all that wrong that I did. That repentant heart is what God is looking for. And so Jesus says to him, today, salvation has come to you and to your house. Let's make sure we understand it's not because of all the good stuff he did. He didn't get saved because he gave to the poor. Just the opposite. We see his good works were evidence at that moment of the fact that his life had been changed by believing in the Lord Jesus for salvation, see? And so because his heart was changed, because he had believed, he said, man, I'm a new person now. I have to then right some wrongs that were done, this act of repentance. What does that look like for us? And that doesn't have to be th something that we do right at the moment of salvation. Do we spend time thinking about those things that we have done wrong to others? What do we do to make that right, to bring that before God and ask for forgiveness? First John, we're told, right? We confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's written to believers. So as believers in Jesus, when we sin, we are to repent and ask for forgiveness. So here is Zacchaeus, a great example of that, a new believer it says, I'm going to give half all I own to the poor. And you can see the mockers around him probably saying, yeah, yeah, right. He says, anybody that I wronged, which you know as a tax collector, he did a lot of bad things, didn't he? He stole a lot of money. Guarantee it. And he says, oh, I'm going to give it back fourfold. Because his heart was changed, right? Church, what does it look like in our lives now as believers? How has our life changed? It's a good thing to do, especially this beginning of Holy Week, to reflect on our life in Jesus Christ. Does it look different now than it did before we believed? Like Zacchaeus, before we got a glimpse of Jesus and understood who he truly was and believed in him for salvation. So Jesus makes it clear salvation had come to him because he noticed what he had done. So Jesus, of course, knew. It says to you and to your household, meaning anybody in his house that also believed in Jesus as the one true Messiah, the coming king, would also, of course, be saved. And Jesus makes that statement in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we see in Zacchaeus a model of what we should be looking for in our lives as Christians that we are to go out of our way to seek Jesus every day and enjoy communion with him. Zacchaeus got to eat a meal with Jesus. Spend a wonderful time. Why do we like to eat together, right? 
Why do we look forward to that first Sunday of the month when we get to, to have food together? There's something special how it brings us together, this idea of communion. It's why we do it on the, the first Sunday after we take communion, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. And so we do that because of the importance and how it connects us to God. See, church, Jesus wants to eat that meal with you each and every day. He wants to spend time with us. So he did that with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, it says, was overjoyed. See, but then it says right after that, because they heard all these things, meaning they, the crowd, in verse um, 11, they heard all these things, Jesus started to tell this parable. See, it happened next. This is what happened, right? So he had this meal, spent time with him, and it says, because they heard all this, Jesus tells them a parable Because, two things, he was near Jerusalem, which means it was about to be the beginning of the end for Jesus as they knew him. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. See, Jesus needed to correct them. They thought the the kingdom was here. Here's the king. He's in Jerusalem, the city of David, to sit on David's throne, the long-awaited prophecy of the Davidic king and kingdom. But Jesus had to tell them, not yet. And so in doing so, he had to prepare them. So how does he choose to prepare them? He tells them this story, this parable. The parable of the ten minus. And so I just want to highlight a few things from this parable as we tie this together. Because remember, this is what happened right before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. That scene that we can picture of the mobs, the crowds welcoming Jesus in as he slowly as a prince of peace rides into Jerusalem, not on a great stallion as a warrior king, but on the donkey as Messiah, Savior, King. And they welcome him in with shouts of Hosanna and the waving palm branches, and they lay him down at his feet. Here is our king. He tells them this parable in essence, to say, the king is here, but you have rejected him, so his kingdom is going to have to wait. So here's this parable. I won't read the whole thing again, but he tells the parable of a nobleman, right? So this isn't a true story. It's a parable, but it tells a truth, uh, teaches a lesson. So there's this nobleman, right? And he went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom and then come back. So Jesus kind of summarizes the whole parable right at the beginning. He says, okay, so there's a nobleman, and he goes away to receive a kingdom, and then he's going to come back. That sets the stage for the story. But now you have a nobleman, right? And there's two other groups of people, main groups of people. There are servants, and there are citizens, Now, the servants are the ones that he gives the the minus to, and he's basically in this parable, this king who's going to receive his kingdom and come back. He says, while I'm gone, I'm giving you this incredible treasure that I want you to handle as a treasure until I come back. And so he's got three servants in this story, and he gives them each minus, right? This is worth, it was money. It was worth about three months wages. And so they would have understood, well, it's an incredible parable. And in the story Jesus is telling, he's, they each get like three months wages. And so 
And so the nobleman says, take care of these till I come back. So then he comes back and he asks for the servants to come and so that he could see what it is they did with what he had given them. So of course, the one had invested it and it gained 10 more and then the other one got five more and then the other one didn't do anything with it. He didn't even put it in the bank to get a little bit of interest, right? All that interest we would get today if you put your money in the bank, right? Jesus even says, you could have at least put it in the bank, but he didn't. He hid it in a handkerchief, in a cloth, because he was afraid of the nobleman. Then there's another group of people, not the servants, but the citizens. These are the ones that hated him. They didn't want the nobleman to go get his kingdom. They didn't want him to reign over him. So in this parable, the nobleman is Jesus. The servants are his followers, his disciples, but the citizens are the Pharisees, the leaders, the the people of Israel by connection. And so what Jesus is teaching them simply here in this parable, as he is about to enter into Jerusalem and he just interacted with Zacchaeus and they saw what it looked like for a changed life, for somebody to honor the king. And he tells this parable because he's about to enter into the city of kings, the city of David. And he has to tell them, the kingdom isn't here yet. You're about to usher me in as king, and this is the right time. The kingdom is not yet. So he tells this story. He's the nobleman who's going away to get his kingdom. See, Jesus is teaching them that in a short amount of time, in about a week, that he was going to leave them. They still didn't understand. But see, he was going to get the kingdom from the Father. And he told them that he'd be back. So in the parable, the nobleman is going away to get the kingdom. See, that's Jesus saying, I have to go away. A kingdom is being prepared. Remember Jesus in John 14? My father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back for you, right? So Jesus here in this parable is saying, as him being the nobleman, going to get the kingdom being prepared for him by the Father. And he says, I'm gonna come back. So he's preparing them. But in the meantime, you're gonna have this incredible treasure. Be careful what you do with it. That treasure is his very word. And it is the very gospel, which is life itself, you see? And so he's telling them, what are you going to do while I'm gone? He's getting them prepared. And see, so in this parable, he comes back, and he comes back with the kingdom. And so we can see, we'll talk a little bit about this more next week. He comes back to usher in his kingdom. See, that hasn't happened yet. Jesus has not yet returned for us. So we are like the servants waiting for him to come back. But in the parable, he gives an idea of what's going to happen when he comes back. So the nobleman comes back and he asks the servants, how did it go? What did you do while you were waiting for me? See, it's like believers, we will have eternal rewards. What are we doing, church, with our time while we wait for Jesus? We wait for him. What are we doing with the gospel? Are we living it out and are we sharing it with others? What are we doing with the beautiful treasure of his word? Are we investing in it? Like the first two servants, or do we just put it on the shelf 
and let it collect dust like the third servant who didn't do anything with it. <laughs> but see, then there is the citizens, the citizens of that kingdom that Jesus then says will be judged. He even ends the whole parable with these strong words. As for these enemies of mining, meaning the citizens, these are the ones that didn't want the nobleman reigning over him. The nation of Israel rejecting their king, they didn't want him reigning over them. As for these enemies of mine, these citizens, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That's what it says in the parable. What is Jesus saying? Those, and listen church, he's saying those who reject me will face judgment. It's an incredible parable. And let it not be lost in us when Jesus tells this and to whom. He tells it to his followers right before his coronation, right before he enters into Jerusalem, received as king. So he was preparing them for what was about to happen. They didn't know. We understand, right? We get it. The disciples, the followers, they didn't know what was about to happen that whole week. Jesus was preparing them. Jesus was going away to receive his kingdom, to receive his true kingship. When he returned, he would establish his kingdom. Until that time, his followers were to fulfill the responsibilities he gave them, us. On his return, he will reward the faithful for their service to him, for the enemies those who reject him will be judged. So we wrap it all up. Palm Sunday, Hosanna, save us now. Jesus needed to prepare them. It was the right time for them to proclaim him as king, but the kingdom had not yet come because they had rejected him. It says, they heard all these things about Zacchaeus and Jesus' teachings. He proceeded to tell them this parable because he was about to go to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They didn't know it, but Jesus was preparing them for the cross. We are to be waiting for his return, glorifying him till he comes back with our time, our talents, our treasure. And like Zacchaeus, we are to be repentant and ask forgiveness when we have wronged God and others. That we understand the change of mind leads to the change of heart which leads to that changed behavior. If you're with us here this morning and you're a believer, let this Palm Sunday be a reminder to prepare. What are you doing to prepare for Jesus to return? Because Jesus can come back for us, his bride, at any moment. I hope you believe that. Because that is called our blessed hope. That should give us so much hope and joy that Jesus Christ is coming back for us his church, those who have put our faith and trust in him. But for those who have not yet done that, it says there will be judgment. So if you've joined us here today and you're still searching for Jesus, know the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is simply this. That you believe in Jesus Christ for who he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, the awaited king, and that you believe 
that he did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross to take our place because of our sin before a holy God, but that he would come back to life on the third day and defeat death. If you believe that as the gospel, you believe in the Lord Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. One condition, one beautiful condition for salvation, eternal salvation, that is belief, which means trust or faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we will be saved. That is the true gospel. And there is grace, grace wrapped up in the gospel. Why? Because it does not depend on anything we do. You see, the Bible teaches us over and over, church, that we cannot do enough good things to earn God's favor. We can't do enough good works. We can't say sorry to other people enough. We can't give enough of our money away. You can't even be prepared enough for that storm that's coming. Jesus did it all. On that day on the cross, the sky grew dark, the winds came, the earth quaked. It was a storm. Jesus says, be prepared. How are you prepared for the storm? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, because then his return is not something to fear, but something to be hopeful for and to rejoice. Amen? So we look at today, Palm Sunday, and say it's the beginning of this amazing last week of Jesus' life and all of the things that he would teach in preparation for the cross, for the empty tomb as well. Are we prepared for his return, his blessed return. And the only way to truly be prepared is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of your sin. And once you've done that, Holy Spirit resides in you. You are then a member, a body, part of the body of Jesus Christ we call the church. What are we then doing in preparation for his return? Spending our time with him like Zacchaeus did, enjoying a beautiful meal, hearing the words of Jesus. Church, remember that. Jesus wants to spend time with you. So why don't we stand together? We're gonna close our time. To, actually, you know what? I got ahead of myself. Stay seated, I'm sorry. I'm so excited to sing this last song. And what I was saying that we were heading towards, we call this communion. Right? I don't want to forget that. Most important. Jesus told us that we are to take communion, the breaking of bread, to do this as often as we get together. But why? To do it in remembrance of him. We do this once a month here at Trinity. We like to do it in conjunction with our fellowship lunch. Because see, in the, the ancient church, they did just that. They had a big agape feast together, including a lot of food. And they would always take time in that large gathering to remember the sacrifice of Jesus before they were to celebrate the resurrection. See, in order to get to Sunday, you gotta go through Friday. And so this time together is solemn, and it's a time of reflection. It's a time of contemplation, where you take a few moments, just you and God, to reflect on what he has done for us, because part of communion is preparing our hearts.
Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure and for the coming kingdom. But in the upper room during the Last Supper, the Passover meal, the last one he would enjoy with his followers, his closest friends, the night before he was betrayed, he showed them this, and he said, do this as often as you get together in remembrance of me. He took bread, he broke it, he passed it around, and they ate. And he said it represented his body, which he was about to give for them. And then he took the cup, the cup of wine, he passed it around, he said it represented his blood. And see, that's why we do this, church. We take a piece of the bread and we take the cup representing his body and blood given for us. So we're going to do that now. Before we get up and, and take these elements, take a moment to reflect. As you hear the music play, do that. Please don't rush. And then as the Spirit leads, you can get up and either come up to the front or by the back door, take a piece of the bread and one of the cups return to your seat. When we've all done that, I will lead us in conclusion in taking the bread and the cup together in remembrance of him, right? So let's look to the Lord now, the time of reflection, preparing our hearts for him.
in that account of Jesus and Zacchaeus, we see that our focus is to be on the cross, for it brings salvation. Jesus, we are told, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said these words, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take and eat together in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together in remembrance of him. And then the parable of the minas, Jesus preparing us for his return. For it also says, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now we can stand. Let's stand and close our time together by singing. We sing this song of worship in response to the goodness of God and what we just experienced together.
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together today. And may we remember and may we prepare. God, lead us to Calvary each and every day, our own minds, to the cross of Christ, not just once a month or once a year, but each day, the profound truth of what Jesus did for us. God, we thank you for our time together, and we ask your blessing over our continued fellowship and celebration for new life in Jesus Christ. And may all that we continue to experience together this morning be a blessing for us and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's just, let's give our team a few minutes to get the food out and prepared and join us for our lunch.